Support for this podcast and the following message come from Hulu, presenting the original documentary series, Hillary, a portrait of Hillary Rodham Clinton, featuring exclusive interviews and footage from the 2016 presidential campaign. Hillary is now streaming only on Hulu. Hey, before we start the show, the guys aren't even in here yet. Stephen and Glenn have not arrived. I need to talk to you about what we're doing right now, which is asking for your support for your local station to help support our show. And you may know there's me, there's Glenn, there's Stephen, there are producers. But, you know, we talk about the fourth chair. You know who the fifth chair is? You know who the fifth chair is? The fifth chair is you. And when you give your support to your station, you see, then they can help NPR and NPR takes care of us. And then you get to continue to listen to the show. And so even though you might listen to us on your phone or in your car and not on your regular radio, that is how you support us and help us. That's what pays for our production. That's what pays for all of the costs of making the show. And it makes it possible for us to bring you all of the episodes and all of the TV conversations and movie conversations that we brought to you this year and that we hope to bring to you next year. So to you, our fifth chair, our great thanks. Go to donate.npr.org slash happy and support your local station. Who can possibly play Fred Rogers? That's a question that the new film, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, tries to answer with a performance from Tom Hanks as the beloved TV host. In the movie, a journalist, played by Matthew Reese, has a transformative experience with Rogers that reshapes his relationship with his troubled father. A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood is directed by Marielle Heller, who most recently made the Melissa McCarthy film, Can You Ever Forgive Me? A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood uses unconventional techniques to place the journalist's story within Mr. Rogers' land of make-believe. I'm Stephen Thompson. And I'm Linda Holmes. We're talking about A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood on this episode of Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Here with me and Stephen in the studio is Glenn Weldon of NPR's Arts Desk. Hi, Glenn. Hey, Linda. And in our fourth chair is writer Chris Klimek. Hi, Chris. Hi, Linda. All right. So first of all, we should say, uh, if you're if you're not familiar, this is based on a real Esquire profile that was done by the journalist Tom Juno. And the way that they kind of frame the film, it's largely about the writer who they've renamed Lloyd mm-hmm. um, having this very complicated relationship with his own dad, played by Chris Cooper, a relationship that is mostly fictional. Mm-hmm. Um, this part's mostly made up, but it's sort of about him spending time with Fred Rogers and how that affects uh, that affects him. Glenn, uh, what did you think of this one? Uh, well, it's not the film that I thought it was. It's not, frankly, the film I was afraid it was going to be, which yeah. is, you know, I, I was expecting a kind of well-meaning but insipid profile of a preternaturally kind man, right? Mm-hmm. And the filmmakers know that that's not enough, uh, so they need a way in. They need the audience to have a way in. Uh, so they inject some darkness, some edge, the way you, you mentioned, by giving Matthew Reese's character, uh, you know, anger issues and a abusive dad and relationship trouble, all of which follows some very conventional contours, uh, very... Uh, typical Hollywood contours, and that's not where the film was interesting to me. The film was most interesting to me when it focused on uh, Fred Rogers, let's let's call it what it is, central weirdness. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Yeah. He's a agree. weirdo, and you let him be a weirdo. And it, so it quickly becomes about that Tom Hanks performance, which, um, newsflash, uh, it's remarkable, because that performance gradually, over the course of the first 10 minutes you, you're watching it, rewires your brain. So first he's Tom Hanks in a cardigan. <laughs> right. And then gradually he becomes Fred Rogers. He always was Fred Rogers. He always was the caretaker at the Overlook, Mr. Lawrence. It's just this crazy thing that happens. So uh, in the end, yeah, sure, I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Chris? What do you think? 
Uh, like Glenn, I, I feared this would be something else. I was really seduced by the formal weirdness of this, yeah, this movie. Yeah. The way that it's built like an episode of the TV show, the way that it replicates that kind of lo-fi video look within the show segments. I love that the establishing shots use miniatures the way that the, the yeah. TV show did, like the both for Pittsburgh and for New York City. And I think the the remarkable Tom Hanks performance is sparingly used. It gets more power from the kind of paucity of screen time yeah. that he has. Uh, affection for Tom Hanks beats deep within the breast of every American from the <laughs> halcyon days of Nothing in Common and Dragnet the movie to uh-huh. latter day triumphs like Larry Crown and a hologram for the king. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, they are they are deploying him uh, to his best use here. Mm-hmm. And, and I like that they, they don't overdo it. Yeah. You know, when we talked about Captain Phillips, we talked mm-hmm. about the fact that the casting of Tom Hanks does work, right? D- sort of does yep. some of the work. Because as soon as you cast him, you bring in a certain kind of you know, assume a well-respected person. (laughs) And I think that, I think with Fred Rogers, I don't know, I think it would have been really hard to try to put just like an unknown actor to become Fred Rogers because Fred Rogers is so indelible that you almost need another indelible person Mm -hmm. whose own indelibility somehow can can survive that. It's like, you know, putting a flavor into a dish that's Mm -hmm. strong enough to stand up to, you know, strongly flavored wine you're drinking. Uh, Stephen, what'd you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that is a really, really good point. The casting of Tom Hanks actually had me a little on edge about this movie because when I find Tom Hanks least effective in movies is when he's trying to adopt the manner of somebody else, when he's trying to take on an accent as he did in Cloud Atlas or as he did in The Post. It doesn't work as well for me because it's it feels like I'm watching Tom Hanks act. And so I was nervous that this performance was going to be an hour and 45 minutes of watching Tom Hanks act like Mr. Rogers. And instead, as you guys said, his inherent Tom Hanksiness feeds into your inherent love of Mr. Rogers to create this kind of hybrid that worked really well for me. Glenn, I love the point you made about this movie capturing uh, Mr. Rogers' fundamental awkwardness. Mm -hmm. I liked the way this movie captured not only his generosity and his willingness to be present with the people he's talking to, but also the limits of that and his unwillingness and evasiveness when it comes to pulling himself out of the role that he played in society. So these you watch these, these interviews and they're this dance of Mr. Rogers only revealing what he ra- wants to reveal and otherwise being very opaque. Yeah, I think one thing I really like about it, it's is exactly like Glenn said, it's that the oddness of him, mm-hmm. but also one of the things I think makes the film work is a willingness to acknowledge this was a person who could be very off-putting exactly. to people in certain circumstances, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that his his kind of um, extraordinary demeanor. They do a really good job of letting that be uncomfortable and off-putting at times. And if you saw the documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor, it has it hits some of the same beats where you think like, this is just an unusual person, right? And I think that's what comes out in the film. And, and what I really appreciated is that they kind of are able to acknowledge this is somebody who could be off-putting and yet often had a transformatively positive effect on people um, through his 
generosity yeah. and kind of openness and sometimes oddness. I like the fact that they show that he sometimes spoke through Daniel Tiger, which is weird. <laughs> yeah. But it but it's true. I want to say as someone who works in magazines and who when this movie was set was in college planning an illustrious career in magazines. This is what I wanted. This is what yeah. I expected. Like yeah, 2 yeah. weeks to be... write a 400 word profile and then when you turn it in at 6000 words readers like I love it. Yeah. Put you on the cover. You're a genius. M- multiple uh, plane trips. Yep. Yeah. Paid for by a foot magazine. 400 words. Yes. Not not $150 and you pay your own expenses. Yeah, yeah this is a very emotional film. That's the only time I choked up. When <laughs> 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 you see that plane going back four hundred words. I, I mean, it was it was to be fair a matchbox plane. Sure, yeah. you sure. know I, I, I could afford that one. Yeah, uh, I'm generally really skeptical of the journalist as framing device in movies like this. Uh, I. I when I read kind of going in that that was how they were going to frame this story, that it's actually about the writing of this magazine article, again, I kind of tensed up. But I think they handle it nicely. I think you need to show how Mr. Rogers had an effect on the people in his orbit. And I think this is a way of doing that. As far as as far as far the changing of, of Tom Juno's story, Tom Juno wrote a really great piece in The Atlantic about the experience of watching this movie and seeing the, the, the way his story was, was changed. And he ultimately comes down on the side of this isn't my story this is why I had my name changed in this movie the names of everyone in my family are changed because this is not their story but he came down on the side of it arrives at insights that I hadn't and that's and isn't that interesting and I think the reason it doesn't bother me that they change his story the way it has bothered me in so many other movies is that he is not the story mm-hmm. of yeah. this movie Mr. Rogers is the is the story and you think about By comparison, a movie like Green Book, which is incredibly faithful to the story of the driver, but not faithful to the story of the genius, Mm -hmm. and where it winds up misplacing its focus and getting all the details right about the person we care about less. This gets all the details right, I felt, about the person we care about more, and I'm not necessarily needing a Tom Juno movie. I think uh, Heller seems more comfortable in those moments where, uh, as you guys mentioned, where they're holding a silence between these two people, uh, where it's it feels very intimate. And to me, the framing device of the show and the miniatures, that felt a little like it was imposed upon the story. It didn't f- kind of grow organically out of the story, but it wasn't in... If, if they had pushed that and done a lot more of it, it would have the whole thing would have yeah. just collapsed. I think it's in there at just the right level. Yeah, I agree. And it's not so much... I certainly don't object to the changing of the story. I kind of agree with the point that as long as you change everybody's name, it, it isn't that important. I think the question is, does that external story work, right? Mm-hmm. Is it a good story? And I, I did find it to fall into some cliched kind of family conflict things. And I think it's interesting to compare, for example, that Chris was talking, I think, correctly about how the, the, the limited screen time of the Tom Hanks performance is one of the things that makes it effective. You're not watching endless, endless, endless scenes of, of what was a personality yeah. that didn't vary that much, right? Mm-hmm. A presentation that didn't vary that much versus Stephen saying, I think also correctly, the journalist isn't really the story. So if I have a knock on this movie at all, it's the imbalance between, I think there's more screen time to vote devoted to the thing that's less interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I do have some feelings about that. I'm not sure it's really a knock on the movie, but it's, it's an oddity mm-hmm. about the movie. So it's interesting. I'll be interested to see what people think of it. 
We talked earlier this week about Knives Out and what a basically perfect movie that is to watch with your family around Thanksgiving. If you want to make it a double feature, this is even less polarizing (laughs) than than Knives Out. I really enjoyed both movies. I think you could do so much worse than this with with your family. My only knock would be, you know, too much Daniel Striped Tiger, not enough Lady Elaine Fairchild, which basically is my <laughs> knock about life yeah. in general. So. Yeah, it's a it's a really, really interesting uh, film, and I, I hope people will check it out. And let us know what you think. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH or tweet us at PCHH. When we come back, it's going to be time to talk about our favorite thing. What is making us happy this week? So come right back. Support for NPR and the following message come from Ally. You work hard to stay on top of the latest in pop culture. But does your money work hard for you? Or is it just being lazy? Make your money work harder than ever with Ally's new smart savings tools. Bucket your savings for the things that matter most. Analyze your spending and save automatically. All on top of a competitive rate. Because your money should work as hard as you do. For all things money, you deserve an Ally. Visit Ally.com for more info. Ally Bank, member FDIC. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Vitas Healthcare. Vitas keeps hospice-eligible patients out of the hospital and ED by providing consults, answering your questions, and accepting referrals 24-7-365. Their clinical teams work overnight hours to triage worsening symptoms and handle late-night phone calls from anxious patients or their families. For more information on how VTOS can help you and your patients or residents, go to VTOS.com slash advantage. Welcome back to Pop Culture Happy Hour. It's time for our favorite segment of this week and every week. What is making us happy this week? Steve and Thompson, what is making you happy this week? Got a chance to sit down with my daughter and watch a movie. And usually in recent years when that happens, that means watching a whole bunch of people get murdered. Yeah. But we got to pick the movie last night and we sat down and showed her for the very first time, her very first viewing of The Karate Kid. Oh, wow. Uh, The 1984 classic, a wholesome staple of my own childhood. It was a blast. She had an amazing time. And it's funny how many elements of that movie have been reflected in in other films since. We got to roll our eyes at some of the... Zamfir, master of the pan flute, yes. playing every time Mr. Miyagi shows up. We got to uh, marvel at how quickly that movie slams into the closing credits from its big iconic finale. It's like kick end. Yes, <laughs> and uh, how you're the best around. <laughs> and how unbelievably poorly prepared Daniel Larusso really is for that karate tournament. <laughs> uh, but it's nice, and I think as a family we may wind up sitting down and watching Cobra Kai, the Karate Kid TV sequel that is on YouTube, mm-hmm. which I, I watched the first season of when we talked about it for this show and really, really enjoyed it. Nice. Thank you very much, Stephen Thompson. Glenn Weldon, what is making you happy this week? We talked about Netflix's The Crown recently. I did not know at that time that there is an accompanying official Netflix podcast that is breaking down each episode of season three one at a time. Now, it's a, an official podcast, which means... Tremendous access to the showrunner, the casting directors, who are great to talk to, the writers, the researchers. It also means it's a bit boostery. It gets a little worshipful. Sure, so sure. you have to kind of, you know, thread that needle. But it's really fascinating to hear Peter Morgan talking about the central defining issue with the historical drama is 
what do you leave out? Mm -hmm. <laughs> when you've got all this stuff, how do you choose? And he's very upfront about how this is all pure speculation based on outside observation. So it's it's interesting. It's engaging. Uh, it's over in half an hour. And uh, it's got really good access. So What's that it is, called? It's called The Crown, official Netflix podcast, The uh, Crown. <laughs> gotcha. Thank you very much, Glenn Weldon. Chris Clinic, what is making you happy this week? Well, you know, Linda, this episode is dropping on Black Friday, on Record Store Day, which means the Avengers Ed game of holidays is nearly upon us. Mm -hmm. Some people say I'm the Alan Lomax of Christmas past. <laughs> Fewer people say I'm the Skrillex of Christmas present. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no people say I am the Janelle, Janelle Monet of Christmas future. Uh -huh. But I got dreams. I dream of a holiday songbook deeper and stranger than the same old, same old three dozen songs we, mm -hmm. we all know. And each year I, I endeavor to discover these these gems for everyone. Uh, also, some terrible people listen to their podcasts on one and a half speed. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do you mm, 50 times better. I'm going to play you side A of my 2019 Yule Mix, Let's Talk About Christmas, at 50 times speed. Oh, so nice. we're going to hear the whole thing but it's only going to take a minute. Let's go. Let's talk about Christmas. Christmas is my six-fold Chevrolet and a granddaughter for her grandmother Beverly. Some people use the wrong way to celebrate Christmas. I hope you can all hear the vigorous head nodding that's, that's accompanying this. It never felt like Christmas till I spent it with. With old Santa Claus. I plan to spend Christmas in the States, but I can't stand violence. Hey, player, what you gonna get for Christmas? Yeah. The Christmas movie, Jingle All the Way was one of those great scripts. And it is still the day, uh, the favorite Christmas movie that people are playing. Santa Claus got a divorce. Let's talk about Christmas. Chris, if I wanted to find this, would I would I find you on Twitter at CT Clinic? You you would, and I will I will tweet the secret location at All the right. appropriate time. Thank you very much, Chris Clinic. Every time I listen to the satellite radio Christmas <laughs> music channel, I think of how I'm betraying you. Um, <laughs> Good. Thank you very much, Chris. What is making me happy this week is a video series put out through Wired called Technique Critique. This is the second time recently that I have shouted out a YouTube video series, which means I think I'm aging backwards. <laughs> I'm very proud of myself. It's a series in which they have experts in various fields look at movies and TV scenes that depict whatever their area of expertise is, and then they go through and pick apart and tell you how realistic it is. There is one where a uh, an accent expert does, you know, movie accents, how good are they? A couple of wonderful ones I watched the other day where it's a forensics expert who shows you, like, no, this is not the way that you would collect evidence. There's a wonderful shot uh, in... Uh, in No Country for Old Men of the two cops kind of walking through a crime scene on horseback. And he kind of says, you'd never do that. And he goes and explains all the reasons why you would not walk around a crime scene on horseback. <laughs> and I just love it. Again, it's called Technique Critique. It's through Wired. There are a whole bunch of wonderful specialties that are represented 
everything from, you know, let's talk about how they do forensics on Law and Order to let's talk about how they do forensics on The Simpsons. <laughs> um, a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. Again, Technique Critique is the name of the series. And that brings us to the end of our show. As a reminder, remember to donate to your local station at donate.npr.org slash happy. And you can find all of us on Twitter. I am at Linda Holmes. You can find Stephen at I Dislike Stephen. You can find Glenn at G.H. Weldon and Chris at C.T. Klimek. That's C-T-K-L-I-M-E-K. You can follow our producer, Emmanuel Johnson, at Emmanuel underscore speaks. You can follow our other producer, Jessica Reedy, at Jessica underscore Reedy, and our producer emeritus and music director, Mike Katzif at Mike Katzif. That's K-A-T-Z-I-F. Mike's band, Hello Come In, provides the music you're bobbing your head to right now. Thanks to all of you for being here. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. And thanks for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. If you have a second and you're so inclined, subscribe to our newsletter. That's at npr.org slash newsletter. We will see you all right back here next week. Thanksgiving can be full of turkey disasters. It was just pasty and white and it had this gross cloth over the top of it. We'll talk about how to avoid that and keep Thanksgiving simple and edible. Plus a chat with celebrity chef Samin Nosrat. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the NPR Wine Club, where every bottle tells a story and NPR shows become wines, like Weekend Edition Cabernet Sauvignon. Available to adults 21 years or older. Learn more at nprwineclub.org.